0: With Down syndrome, there's a huge range of abilities, just like any typical kid. You don't know if they're going to be good at math or they're not going to be. You don't know if they're going to read early or if they're going to be, you know, it's that same um, sort of thing. But generally when they're born, the immediate thing they look for is um, 50% of babies born with Down syndrome have heart defects. They're usually easily fixed and end up fine. There's um, I have several friends whose babies had open heart surgery within the first year, but everything's fine. Um, so she, we lucked out. Nella didn't have any health issues whatsoever. You're listening to
1: the MILF podcast. This is the show where we talk about motherhood and sexuality with amazing women with fascinating stories to share on the joys of being a MILF. Now here's your host, the MILFiest MILF I know, Jennifer Tracy. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the show. This is MILF Podcast, the show where we talk about motherhood, entrepreneurship, sexuality, balancing everything, and anything in between. And I'm your host, Jennifer Tracy. So glad to be here with you guys. Uh, last week on the show, we had Dr. Suzanne Gilbert-Glens, and such a great conversation with her about so many different things. Uh, women's wellness was among the many topics. And today on the show, I'm so proud to have author, mom, blogger, and just all around wonderful person, Kelly Hampton on the show. Uh, Kelly is among many things, as I just stated, the author of the New York Times bestselling book, Bloom, which is about the birth of her second child, her daughter, Nella. It's an absolutely beautiful book, visually and literary, literarily speaking. Oh boy. I'm a writer too, but I'm not sounding good. Anyway, the book is gorgeous and um, the story is amazing. And she shares it with us in this amazing interview. And I just loved talking with her. It was a little bit of a challenge because she's in Florida and I'm in Los Angeles. So we had to do an online interview and our internet kept cutting out. So, my amazing editor, Derek, had a challenge with this one. And so, thank you again, Derek, because he had to kind of cut it together and and make it sound like a whole interview. I think it cut out like six or seven times. We just kept logging back on. We were like determined, determined. So, anyway, I really hope you enjoy this interview. And uh, thanks so much for listening. So, let's dive in because there's so much to talk about. Um, And again, thank you for being on the show. Like, I'm just adore you. And I'm so happy to chat with you. So I guess a good place to start is, you know, before I kind of want to start in the before children category before children, before marriage. Like, so tell me a little bit about like, where are you from originally?
0: I'm originally from Michigan. I grew up in a, this reminds me of my first, the very first time I ever went to therapy, the therapist is sitting (laughs) on on the couch and I've never done therapy (laughs) before. So I didn't know what to do. And she kind of was like, tell me about yourself. I'm like, oh, wow, that's a heavy question. I was just like, well, I was born in a town in 1978. Like, I don't know where you want me to begin. Um, right, right. right, So I grew up in Michigan. My dad was a Methodist pastor. So we were like a sweet little pastor's family. My both grandpas were pastors, grew up in um, this just church environment, traditional and grounding and comforting. And then... When I was 8 years old, my mom left my dad and um she found out that he was gay. And so I didn't really know what that was at 8, but things got really weird. We moved in with a family that of this huge church and the church was dividing and basically it went into this several years we were in, in a religious cult. It led to we separated from my dad. We, at very young age, told him um, that he was going to hell, that the Bible told us we couldn't be with him. And we had this sort of very strict, religious, very literal interpretation of the Bible. Many years. Didn't see my dad for many years.
1: And you had brothers and sisters, right? You have a sister.
0: I didn't see my dad for many years. Uh, I think I was about 16 when um, I sort of reached out to him, just getting older and had a lot of questions about beliefs and knew I wanted my dad back in my life. I ended up living with my dad and his partner. Um, And strangely enough, I don't know how, but everything turned out okay. Like my mom, the cult dissolved. My mom and my dad got along. My brother and everyone was fine. And that took us down to, after I graduated college, I moved down to Florida and immediately met my uh, husband, now husband. And we, I'm I'm catching you up to the birth story here, but we had, um, he had two boys from a previous marriage. And um, I think a lot of it was because I had such a weird, there was this, a lot of weird childhood stuff. And it was very, for a long time, it was very sheltered. It was homeschooled. I don't think I ever really imagined that I would have like this normal life. And so when I met my husband and then um, we had our first daughter, I just sort of latched on to this, like, it It was Perfect It was like never could I just latched onto this white picket fence idea and what I wanted life to be, and everything was perfect, and um I remember I, like I wanted a, a girl and I got a girl, and then I got pregnant again, and I wanted another girl, and I actually thought it was like' cause my good karma, like I'm just like everything I want is coming through, and um somewhere probably strayed a little bit and just getting caught up with the whole outward image of what our family looks like. So I'll just take you right into, uh, to when I had Nella, but we, um, when, I, and I, this was about, I started blogging when Lainey was a baby and connecting with a lot of other moms. And this is when people sharing their birth stories was huge and people were getting birth photographers. And so I went all in. We were going to take pictures of the birth and I had perfect favors and I brought a quilt. I, I mean, I imagine what it was going to look
1: like. And you're so good at all that stuff too. Like everything's beautiful. And, and um, and if you guys, let my listeners, if you go um, to Kelly's site, which I hope you do, um, and we're also going to provide the link to Nella's birth story on there and then the link to your site. It's like everything is so beautiful and it has this richness and depth to it. That is you. It's such a reflection of who you are. And I love that. Um, I'm not good at that kind of thing. <laughs> um, So I always admire people that can. It, there's times
0: it, it's a little extra, but
1: um, I know I'll look back. I'm like really, really with the
0: personalized birth favors, and I'll, but I, you know, I had it all planned out and um, went in. I had several friends in the room, and she came really fast. And I remember when when she was born, they put her in my arms, and there were probably, God, ten people in the room, um, cameras going off. And I looked at her and immediately knew I knew she had Down syndrome and I didn't say it, but, um, and it was just, there was an immediate disconnect. I just felt like I was holding somebody else's baby and the grief was just, um, I mean, I, um, I sort of went into a black hole and you can see there's videos the the little bit of video coverage we have in the book in the birth room you can see me kind of pull off her little newborn cap and i'm remembering all these things from college genetics of like low-lying years and the eyes and and sort of checking it off in my mind and i kept asking is she okay is there you're not telling me something and um everybody kept saying she's fine she's fine and um she because she had come out so quickly um I think a lot of people just thought she was swollen or um, later there, there pe- a couple of the nurses admitted that, that they um, suspected it right away. But anyway, there was, it was a full hour um, before the pediatrician came in. And I had, um, of course, I had champagne glasses with her name on it. And they had this big toast. And there's a photo in the, in the birth room of all these champagne glasses and this toast. And I'm in the background. And I'm just like, just empty. Just told, there's just nothing on my face. I'm numb. Um, so then the doctor came in. They had everybody leave the room. And as soon as they did, I, I started crying. And I said, I know. I know what you're going to say. And she said, um, I always think her the way that she told me should have, been re- should have been recorded and given to every physician who delivers this sort of news. Because it was so beautifully done, especially after hearing from so many women that are told in in ways that are um, not like this, more apologetic, but she, she said, and she knelt right down next to me. So she wasn't standing above me. And she said, Kelly, um, first I'm going to tell you, oh, that Nella is beautiful and she's perfect. But there are some things that lead me to believe that she has Down syndrome. And then she immediately followed again, but she said, but she is beautiful and she is perfect. And, I asked for my dad right away, and they let my dad in the room. And um, I remember just looking up, and they said they they think she has Down syndrome, and I'm sobbing. <laughs> um, I was holding her, yeah. And so I, when I look back now, and the front, all my friends came back in, but they, um, they, I guess there's probably a little period that I went through of guilt for my reaction. Although now, when I look back, I just own it as a human experience, and it all part of the beautiful story and so I don't necessarily feel guilty but I remember thinking like did was she welcome did she feel loved did I kiss her did I looking back to my first daughter's birth all these, you know happy birthday and it was so celebratory and my friend said you know you could not stop kissing her which is I think is instinctive for a mom because I didn't feel I didn't feel it I felt like this baby that I had imagined and dreamed and thought of what she'd look like and look through baby magazines and I mean nine months of dreaming I felt like that baby died it it was like experiencing a death and um and I remember just holding her like it was like holding somebody else's baby and I just I felt nothing except sadness and my sister lived in Michigan and still lives in Michigan and I remember saying I wanted my sister um, it was all a blur, but some, somebody got her on a plane. She was there the next day. Um, that first night though, was a tormented night of the soul. Um, I cried for seven hours straight. I laid my hospital bed. My nurse who became a very good friend. Um, she was actually the nurse that delivered Lainey. She laid next to me. My best friend was there and Mella was in between us and I just writhed in pain and um, I wanted to run away. I wanted to go back. I just kept saying, I want to go back. I want to go back. I want to be pregnant again. And just, I just couldn't believe I just remember thinking like, this is not, not me. This is some, this is the stuff you read about, but this is not my story. This is, I did not sign up for this. And um, when my sister came the next day, we call it the, I have a dream speech. But she came in and, um, when she walked in the room, she just passed right on by me and said, where's the baby? And I watched her scoop her up and hold her and kissed her. And we stayed up all night that night. And she told me, she said, Kelly, you swallowed the blue pill. You can never. This is your life. And it's okay to be sad. But she said, you can sit here and cling to this rock. But there's a current moving on. And once you let go and go down that current, you are going to find happiness. You are going to realize you're going to be so happy that this is part of your life. And she said, or oh, you can just sit and push, just push away, push against it. And um, I say that was, and hers came too from, she had her own, she was in the middle of a divorce and her life looked different from um, what she had imagined. And I remember she said, she said life is like a choose your own adventure books. Those books we used to read when we were kids. She's like, you thought you're going to be on page ninety nine, but you're not. You're not. You're on page thirty seven. But she said, you still get to choose the next step. You get to write your own ending. There's so many little things that she said that that I've applied to life in so many different ways. But I say I fell, you know, madly in love with Nella that that night. Um, and it was just, uh, it was like I come to Jesus with myself, where I'm like, you you can sit here and cry, or you can. You can do this the way that you, you want to do it. she also said, I want you to imagine, you think of a role model. You imagine someone going through this and you think about what would that look like? Well, the person that you wish you could do it like them and you go become that person. And so, yeah, Nella is, she's eight years old now. And it's always, it's always funny retelling the story because it's been a long time. Um, and it's like talking about a different person. I mean, um, there are times I'm like, oh, God, for real. Like, you really thought you cried for seven hours. Like, it's really no big deal. We don't think about Down syndrome that often. And it was a week after she was born that I wrote the birth story. So I was still just completely wrong. And I think now I'm so glad I wrote it because I think if I would have
1: waited six months, I would have never. Oh, your perspective would have been so different. Yeah. Wow. And that's so, that speaks to so many levels of what we bear as mothers in terms of expectations on ourselves of like the fact that you might have even felt embarrassed about that. And, I mean, and I love that you wrote it too. And I love how you just put it all out there. Um, in your beautiful book. And, but I reread the birth story as I was telling you this morning to be fresh before our interview. And I hadn't realized, or hadn't remembered that you wrote it a week after. And I was like, wow, that's brave to put it down. Let's remember
0: too, that at the time, like the blog readers were like my mom and my aunt and like three friends.
1: So I don't think I ever realized like, Oh, like there's millions of, of people. people this. Yeah. But how many people have you helped like by sharing this and how many of this community have been just been like, thank you so much. I mean, right. Like that, that part it has been
0: amazing. Just, yeah, I didn't. And I think a lot of it wh- when I went online and found, there are so many people that, that, we're also sharing and doing it beautifully. Um, I wasn't the first or the only at all, but I think a lot of what connected women um, and what made at that time, of course the internet was a little bit different then, but what, what made the post go viral was that we are just trained as women and moms, just that we just, we shove that down. We don't, you, you, you know what? You gotta show up. You gotta be there. Don't be sad
1: um, don't admit that you're sad. That's the opposite of what the reality is for all of us, for every single mom I've talked to. It's like, of course, you're going to have these layers and and rainbows of emotion. When I started getting emails
0: of uh, of women that had had babies with Down syndrome, just that I, that they felt the exact same way, that they felt like they could never say that they wanted to run away, um, that they completely love what they have now, but that they didn't feel um like they didn't feel uh, an open space to admit that this isn't what i wanted and this isn't what i thought it would look like and i'm devastated um and not everybody i've, I've heard from lots of people too moms that say like they when i hear about these women they're like it's like no big deal they're told to diagnosis, they're like well you know what healthy baby i'm like that is awesome um i i didn't and and every woman's story is different but um but to create a space where women feel like it's okay to say that and that it doesn't mean that they don't love their child or that they wouldn't want to change anything and so and then just the community too i think of god women did this 20 years ago with no internet with no like no cell phone no support the life expectancy has i mean drastically changed the opportunities have changed they're doing things that they've never done before and a lot of it we owe to
1: these moms years ago that said no I'm going to do it my way, you know? Yes. So can you talk a little bit about for me and for our listeners about Down Syndrome and what kind of the, the prognosis is? So you get this information and then now you've obviously been living with it for eight years and Nella's been living with it. And she, and, and, and by the way, we'll, we'll include a link to your Instagram too, but again, like it's just the joy and the pure. And I love that part where, your pediatrician said, she's beautiful and she's perfect. And like that, just, I mean, I cry like when I see your posts, because it's like, you guys, are, there's just so much joy in your family.
0: Oh, it is incredible joy. She's, I say, I know both, I know that the end of our lives, both Brett and I will say it's one of the greatest gifts we've had in life is, is getting to walk this journey. I remember my first question to the pediatrician when she told us was, how long will she live? You know, I didn't know anything about that. Cinnamon. I'm like, is she gonna live? Is she gonna be a teenager? Or is she and I remember I I I remember I had her name picked out and I wasn't sure if I wanted to use that name. I thought it was a different baby. I'm glad I did. I wasn't sure if I wanted to send a birth announcement. I remember just like stupid things like do I dress her in the clothes that like is she gonna be pretty? And like all these just silly things um based on ignorance. And then I remember thinking of like, okay, who do you who do you know? Who do you know? And all I could think of was like every once in a while seeing an older couple at a restaurant with like a grown son with Down syndrome and and not seeing them talk and thinking it was a sad thing. And this was just just a very skewed perception of mine. So with Down syndrome, there's a huge range of abilities, just like any typical kid. You don't know if they're going to be good at math or they're not going to be. You don't know if they're going to read early or if they're going to be, you know, it's that same um, sort of thing. But... Generally, when they're born, the for immediate thing they look for is fifty um, percent of babies born with Down syndrome have heart defects. They're usually easily fixed and end up fine. There's, um, I have several friends whose babies had open heart surgery within the first year, but everything's fine. Um, so she, we lucked out. Nella didn't have any health issues whatsoever. There are some increased likelihoods um, of things that are. Um, thyroid issues and just a little bit of health stuff. We have not dealt with any of it. And most of the people I know that have kids with Down syndrome have not either. So the main thing is just um, that they learn a little, takes them a little longer. Their cognitive development is different, but they walk, talk, read, speak. Um, Nella, if she has Down syndrome, she communicates beautifully. She's in a regular classroom. Um, she can write her name. She can write all her letters. We're patient with things like learning to read and doing math. And we know that it might take several years. Um, but I've met many adults with Down syndrome that can write beautifully. I've met adults with Down syndrome that are married. I know a girl with Down syndrome who has her driver's license. There are Two hundred and sixty some colleges in the United States that have college uh, college programs for people with intellectual disabilities. Um, i visited lots of adults with Down syndrome that are going to college in these programs. So, really, it it's not at all what I thought it would look like raising Nella. Uh, raising a kid with Down syndrome is like raising a kid, you know, um, just a little extra patience, and we work with her on some things. The very first three years of life, um, they have therapy. Um, and it's federally funded, so for from age zero to three, and we had um, speech therapy, occupational therapy, physical therapists. Our physical therapist and occupational therapist came to our house once a week, and I remember thinking it was like completely intimidating in the beginning. And they end up just being like family members, and and uh, yeah, so it really doesn't look that much different. There is this sort of magic, though, in people who have kids with Down syndrome or no friends with Down syndrome, know that there's something, um, it's just very special. They're very um, aware of people's feelings. They're very loving. Nella is very sensitive to if anyone's having a sad day, she just, she knows how to express love in secret magic ways that you can't even explain. And we celebrate so much of the things that we take for granted when she learns how to do something new, it's a grand celebration. The whole family gets so excited for her um, because it, it's a little harder for her. So there's just a, a sensitivity to life and the joys of life and really thinking about what's most important and the things that all these dreams that we thought we'd have to give up. Most of them, um, we realized we didn't have to. Um, things like going to college, you know, who knew? But the ones that, so maybe she doesn't drive. Um, we would love for her to live independently, but if she lives with us, that's okay too. And all these things that we think are just horrible losses at the end of life. Nobody on their, you know, when they're lying in their deathbed, goes back and says, you know what? My favorite thing about life was that I drove, you know, like there's all these, these things don't matter. And all the things that are the most special, the things that make life, so wonderful. We still have
1: all that. If not. Amplified. Yes. yes. That's what I'm hearing. Yeah. Wow. Wow. I just, you're so inspiring. And so I want to ask, like, how does, how does Nella deal with the feelings that come up for her around just feeling like, oh, this is hard for me or, you know, cause it's, it's hard because of the commute because she doesn't communicate
0: as well. She can speak beautifully, but it's not, um, putting, we kind of have to read. And sometimes my husband, and I talk about this all the time. Like, are we, is that our sadness or hers? Um, sometimes that you know, we'll, we'll see her in our classroom. Um, and I'm, or, or there's been times where I volunteered before when watching her, I'm like, oh, she knows, she knows. There was one time when she was in kindergarten, I was volunteering and they were in centers and there were all these little um, groups and I was kind of watching her and I could tell they were starting to play a game. And I knew that she didn't, I could tell she didn't know how to play it, but it was, so she got up and went to her backpack and Got a chapstick and she was right and she just kept checking. It was like this smart, was that so was a smart. <laughs> I, was like, I was gonna put chapstick on for a really long time. So like, um, and it killed me at first. I remember I came home and I cried to my husband. I'm like, oh, she knew. And um, but I always have to stop myself and say, is it your sadness or hers? Because maybe you know, maybe she's not sad. Um, there are times where we've we have caught her when, when friends are over. Where I, I just kind of like, oh, is she is she sad? Does she know? We deal with it by we've made a commitment that Down syndrome is celebrated. We don't hide anything. We don't glorify anything. We talk about it. We talk to all our kids. If it's our other kids have other things about them and or whatever that we're gonna be like, Your life is hard. We're starting to deal with this, but we celebrate it. I think when she was born, I think one of the things that was most afraid of was, is she going to get bullied? Is she going to, you know, are people going to make fun of her? Is she going to feel not included? It's the opposite of I worry about my other kids. Like thinking Nella is like the mayor of the school. She's the mayor. She gets so much love. We go (laughs) anywhere we go. People say how beautiful she She is. She gets so much attention. Um, I know she feels loved, and we are really proactive about talking to her school and her classmates the whenever she starts a new class in the first two weeks of school I basically script like they I have her removed and I want all the kids told she has Down syndrome this is what it is it's not something to be sad about it's awesome these are some things you'll notice this is how you can help her don't baby her high five her she loves it when you do this if she can't communicate with you here are some things that you can say to her and I think Growing up, our old culture was you didn't talk about disability. And we used to think as parents, like, don't point it out because kids don't notice. So kids notice everything. They notice in kindergarten my you know, a three year old starts noticing if someone's in a wheelchair. and if you are not talking about it, they assume there's an elephant in the room, and they are going to think there must be something shameful. The reason why nobody's talking about it must be some so. We just, we go right in. We talk about it. We love questions. If anybody stares, I don't take it. I'm like, it's curiosity. You can ask. We, um, and I, and I hope that Nella gets to a point where she can advocate for herself. And when she's old enough and we feel she's comfortable, we want her to be able to tell her classroom what she wants them to know. And it's also the other gift that this has been for our family. I've realized the thousands of ways. I was such an asshole before she was born. Like I just, there's so many things. I'm like, I'm just so much more aware of differences and prejudices and minority groups and things like the elderly or just everywhere I go, knowing what I want for my daughter, knowing the feeling that the second she was born, the feeling that I knew, I don't ever want her to feel this, this way. I carry that with me now. Every person I see in life, I don't ever want them to feel that way. So it has opened up our entire family, and and I her siblings are gonna are gonna have this gift. I tell Lainey, uh, my my middle schooler, sometimes she's like, I don't know what my thing is. You know, she's tried a couple sports. I'm like, you'll find your thing, but I'm like, you have one thing that nobody else has. You have a sibling with special needs, and I promise you, it is going to make you so special. You are gonna you are gonna have this compassion. You're going to have an understanding for people from getting to be her sister. And it's going to make you better. It, everyone's going to notice this about you. Um, and I'm constantly, constantly learning. They're, you know, I'll, Just being in this community, not only of people that have kids with Down syndrome, but people that have kids with all different special needs and hearing the things that people go through that we all always said, oh, I could never do that. I could never do that. And women wake up. And they never thought they could do it, but they do it every single day and it becomes their life and they're not complaining. And, um, I just, I, I've found strength in myself that I didn't know I had. I'm more confident in my abilities and it pushes me knowing how hard Nella has to work. Everything I do in life, I go back to her, um, as inspiration that if she can do it and she works so hard and she sometimes feels alone. Then certainly I can do this small thing that I'm dragging my feet on. You know,
1: I really appreciated what you said about how you guys, um, you and your family, and and your your family and friends, like name it and articulate it, because I think that that's something. And and this is in no way a comparison. And my son uh, has dyslexia, and I remember when he was assessed, and some of the other kids in our class were assessed. Uh, this isn't second grade, and they were dyslexic too. And it was so interesting. And I was at the time at this progressive elementary school, the other moms whose sons also were dyslexic. It was like a couple of them were like, I don't know if I, I don't want to tell him that this is what it is. I don't want to name it. And no judgment. Like we all have our own journey and no judgment. And I love those women. They're like sisters to me. I love them so much. But it was so interesting to me because for me, And it took me a little bit of time to be able to articulate it to him. But there was so much freedom when he grasped what it was. And it was such relief for him because he'd been in agony of why can't I read? And And he was acting up in class and all this stuff. And once we named it and said, well, and now you get to have this tutor and you get to do this and you're going to have vision therapy and you're going to have this. I mean, he didn't love doing all of it, but it was such a relief for him to go, oh, my God, I'm not damaged goods and I'm not less than everyone else. I have this thing and his tutor, who's, I love her. Carrie, if you're listening, I worship you. She taught him how to read basically. She said, you have a superpower brain. It's like you have a superpower. And because she was, she is dyslexic also. She said, this is going to make you so much stronger in other ways that people with normal brains aren't. Because you have to push through these things. And I just thought, oh, if we could do this in every instance, like name the differences, name the racial differences, name the ethnic differences, name the socioeconomic, name it. Because as you said, you cannot be
0: productive. You cannot create a solution if you don't at first say, here's so if we're going to move ahead. Otherwise, the kid's confused, doesn't know what it is. How can you address something and create a plan to help? it if you don't even if you're not even given a name, uh, my older daughter has anxiety and we, we do this, and especially with Down syndrome. And this approach has taught us how we're going to approach everything and like we name it, we call it, we get a therapist. We, and she had another little friend, they were in the car the other day who also has anxiety and they were in the backseat laughing. They made a song. And they were like, anxiety, we <laughs> have anxiety. and am like, amazing. that is all like, just, just name it and claim it, baby, because what it is. Um, And I think we do, especially when the disability community it used to be, disability used to be, let's not call it disability. Let's call it differently old or whatever. And until the community is like, we're not ashamed of the word disability. Call it what it is. It's a disability. So I have one big whoop, which I love. I I, I love hearing the community of of um people who are disabled, there's so much knowledge there. And when that's who we need to go to to find out how what are we going to call it? What do you want? And so I love when parents just straight up and ask. um, And I I would say if you have a friend who has a baby with a disability or you have a friend and you don't know what to say, you say something. Just ask. I'm here. I don't know what to say. I'm probably going to say the wrong thing, but I don't want to say nothing. So Teach me, tell me. I want to add, and I tell everybody: just ask me anything. Ask, you know. I love. I want people to talk to their kids about it. I want. I want more people to know about it. And you're right. But we should it's it's the approach we
1: should be using for every single thing with our kids. Yes, and 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 my theory with my son has always been: if he's old enough, or if if he's asking the question, because he always he'll ask me anything. We talk about everything. Then he's. If he's able to ask the question, he's able to receive the information, the truth, and that's across the board. And I was talking with in my last week's uh, another episode with Blair Goldberg. Um, I said that he came home two weeks ago and said, "Mom, what's the c word?" Oh God, <laughs> <laughs> he's nine, and I was like, "All right, let's go going Here in," go. because I know he can actually handle it, and he knows. Well, if you're not, here's the other thing: if
0: you're not going to tell them somebody else is going to tell them. If you are not exactly. talking about disability to their kids, they're going to hear it from someplace else. And um, it might be the R word, or it might like get in there and tell them so they, they can be the educator and they're not just going to absorb it from other people. The, people do the same thing with race though. remember it, it was, used to be, we don't talk about race because kids don't notice black and white. Kids don't notice skin color. Of course they
1: notice skin. Yeah, they know skin color. It's not, it is so silly. So I want to talk about, um, well, first of all, you had another child. Yes. So you have three beautiful children. Yes. Um, So you have a son. Yes. And he's
0: four or five? Five. He's
1: five. Oh, Oh my God. God. So you're full house and you have two stepkids. Two stepkids. They're older, so they're
0: out of the house. Yeah. But um, this was my first year with all three of my kids in school all day with like a big block of time.
1: Oh, my gosh. But you wrote the book. Before your son was born. Right? I did. Yeah. I was, pr- I was pregnant with him when, when um, it came out. Wow. 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 So part of uh, what my podcast, uh, one of the things we talk about is, um, you know, going through all these things and being a mom and then creating these other entities, whether it, whatever it is, if it's a piece of artwork that, you know, you keep on your shelf, if it's a book that you publish, if it's a website, if it's, you know, your own career going back to being a uh, whatever, um, because that's that's monumental and when you're in the thick of it and you think, well someday I'd like to XYZ, but how can I when I'm just like drowning in postpartum or you know, so but you did this amazing thing and published this beautiful book. So can you talk a little bit about how that came to be and sure and that is
0: that what you just talked about is huge to me. Number one, because I wanted to be a mom my whole life. So I I mean I went yeah, I went Full force, like crafting. Ba- I mean, like it was my life. I eat, ate, slapped, breathed motherhood. I love motherhood. I'm one of those, like, I didn't want to work. I want to be with my babies. I um, I liken it to, like, before someone gets drunk and someone's like, you sure you want to drink that much? I'm like, <laughs> yeah, I'll take the hangover. And what happened though that I started realizing a couple of years ago, and it it is a dangerous place. And I've talked to so many women, especially. If you wait until your kids are gone to college, uh, I think I caught myself at a good point. But so many women just say, I don't know who I am anymore. Um, And I started when Dash was, I mean, I could have 10 babies. I love having babies. I love myself as a mom. I love nurturing. I love taking care of um, my kids. And I started to realize that I had to be really careful um, that they were not my identity. And although I will, Always hold motherhood as a big part of my identity. And I'm proud of that. I, I love being a mom and I will take that to my grave. Um, but I, um, a couple of years after Dash was born, I started to just like, yeah, he's not a baby anymore. Like wanted to have, wanted to get pregnant again, just, just to stay in it. And so I, I really had to do some soul searching and just, and I, I use this mantra all the time. There is more. There is more. Whenever I have a moment where I'm looking at our precious family and I just think, oh, the best years of our lives are ending. Like I always tell myself, no, 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 there is more. There is so much more. And so my work is so important to me and connecting with other women and having a, a part of myself that is just me is so, it is my life raft and it is guiding me through these next phases of my kids getting older. Um, and hanging on to myself and who I am outside of my kids but when when I wrote Bloom I still look back because I can you know it, I can't get anything done now and I'm like how the hell did you write that <laughs> what the fuck did I just do I don't I don't know how to write a book when am I gonna write it? there's not even a story to write yet she's what I don't even know what And sort of had this panic thing. And so I would just write as things happen. I'd go in at night and I'd bring a little Moses basket next, next to my desk and I'd write. One night I wrote two chapters in one night. Like I just wrote and wrote and I'd send it to my agent and she'd be like, okay, next one. All right. And I just, and then pretty soon I was done. And I remember also thinking like going back to my teaching days of like, well, there has to be like a, uh, you know, a, a climax in the middle and then it all has to come together. And I like, I, do I need an outline for this? And I just wrote, I just wrote what I felt passionate about, wrote what moved me. When something was hard, I wrote it. And in the end, it was, I mean, like literally tied it with a bow and sent it to the editor. And it, it just, it formed its own story. I think so many times women get hung up on, I don't know how to do this. I had this dream, but I don't know how. I don't know how to make it happen. I don't know. Like, I think I have to be, I, I'm not good at business. And so they just get stuck when you just have to do it you don't have to have it all together before you jump you just have to jump and just start doing the work and it will come together and what you think is this huge intimidating once you actually get it done you'll look back and like it wasn't that big of a deal so I had to hire somebody or whatever like it's not don't ever let the logistics of your dream
1: stop you from pursuing it. It's so true. I mean, just like starting this podcast, I never podcasted before. I didn't know. I didn't know how to interview. I'm not, I'm not a journalist. And what's been so interesting for me is this journey of like, this podcast has sort of become this other thing that I didn't even know that it would become. And, and, you know, I'm getting these emails and direct messages from women that are like, your podcast is helping me so much. I've been so much in the dark and like I, my babies, you know, I'm barely sleeping and, you know, I'm listening to your podcast while I'm at the gym and I feel like, oh, I can breathe again. And like I'm like, that's, I guess that's what I wanted it to be. I wasn't even sure what I wanted it to be, but it's just taken on its own life. I hear so many women will say, they'll be like, well,
0: I'm not, I'm not a runner. Like yeah. if you podcast, you're a podcaster. Yes. Right? Yes. If you do it, if you do the work, you are the thing. Yes. And um, that's all it requires to yes. any of these dreams is to just show up and do the work. Yeah. And if you don't know how to do it, you ask somebody and totally. every step you get, you get to the next rock. And then, you know, when you look at the whole path of rocks ahead of you, you're like, I can't. All you do is step one foot.
1: Yeah, you know, chop wood, carry water. That's like my motto these days. It's I so true, that. and and we suffer from this imposter syndrome, right? Yes. Oh my god! We're like oh, I, they're gonna find out. It's like yeah, yeah well, I'm, I'm a a fraud. Not What they're doing either? <laughs> I'm a fraud. How have I been faking it for so long? Exactly so what is on the horizon for you next like creatively and in your work what are you what are you thinking about right so now
0: another book is always like always on the table and and the oh i saw your agent commented on is one is of your like, books uh, so the and and i the good thing about this is that the thing that's keeping me from getting this book is other work that i'm loving right now um and just creating content and connecting and did my first um, online course this year with 300 women it was another one of those things where I'm like I know I want to do an online course and I'm like I don't know how to do it and I'm uh, for a year I'm like oh it was like probably huge probably cost a fortune and then it was Claire actually who's like would you shut up and can I connect you with this woman who like and got connected and within a month like we launched it and had 300 women in our first one. And now I'm in the middle of a course called The Next Big Step talking about what we're talking about right now of women who have a dream, but they just feel stuck and they just need some guidance and some accountability and some connections and resources and a little bit of someone helping them put together a plan. Um, And I do it with, um, I collaborate with um, my partner who actually helped me get mine started. So, and it's been really fun. So I talk to women every day about these sort of things. And um, I love my work. I love it. I I work late into the night because it doesn't feel like work. So, um, and every, you know, that's um, my plan is just to continue doing this. And there's always a door that opens up when you're in a community of women that are doing similar things. I've had so many different opportunities to collaborate just from being in the community. So if I can continue to do this work and love what I do and parent and be able to
1: juggle it all with, I mean,
0: balls were constantly falling, but that's all part of the game. I'll be happy.
1: Oh, so good, Kelly. So good. So uh, we've come to the part of the interview where I'm going to ask you three questions that I ask every guest. And then we're going to go into a lightning round of like just fun. Oh, you quick, are quick quick questions, a real podcaster. So Look
0: at you, sister. <laughs> <laughs> you podcast queen. <laughs> ask me. He is so funny.
1: Okay. So what do you think about Kelly when you hear the word MILF?
0: Well, oh, uh, mom, I'd like to fuck is where I normally think yeah. of because yeah. that is the phrase. But I love what you've done with it. <laughs> Very <laughs> much. You. I prefer yours.
1: <laughs> Thank you. Well, it's interesting. I'm I'm in the process of um, writing an essay uh, to be published, uh, hopefully on Medium soon. But I want to kind of address <laughs> this piece of, you know, this is a name that was really originated in porn. So I want to kind of dive into that. And really, I'm trying to kind of yes. reclaim it in yes. this sense, you know, but also I want to, I want to talk about that too. So I'm going to, I'm going to be working that. on that. Okay. What is something that you've changed your mind about recently?
0: Education. I tend to, this has just been from the beginning of the school year. I have my My daughter started middle school and we're in Florida. So with this shooting that happened last year, our school's are looking different. They're very, um, I, I mean, they look like prisons. And the very first couple of days of school, I, I just was angry. I want, you know, I wanted school to, I just thought this is not what education is supposed to look like. I want it warm. I want it like Montessori. And I was mad at everybody. And it's been a real, been an interesting couple of weeks where I've just sort of settled and to just calmed down, just wait. Um, I tend to get really feisty at first and I've talked to several of my friends and a lot of it goes back to that whole, like the whole story of what I just told you of, this is what I thought it would look like. And it doesn't look like what I thought. So I start to freak out. And even I love walking my kids to their classroom and now we scan our license and they don't really want you to go in the building. And I just had a big fit in the beginning of like, I can't, I I just, this is, this isn't what I thought it was going to look like. And I had a friend say, Kelly, like, can you like create that ritual at some other time in the morning, like maybe before you take them to school, like, can you change it up? And, and, and so I'm learning just to accept things the way they are a little bit more and wait before I go bananas. And so, and I, I did, I mean, I just sent a couple feisty emails and and then and then afterwards, like, like, calm down, just calm down and wait. And some of these things are, um, it's just the state of our world right now. Um, but I know that what I want, this image that I'm creating I don't have to just think it's all gone. I still have the power to create that in different ways. And it it forces me to be creative at home and to know I'm in charge of my kids and my family. Like what I'm able to control, that's where I'm going to put my energy
1: instead of just blowing up over things I can't control. Yes. Yes. I love that. And I'm loving it. I just want to point it out, the sounds of the children in the background. It's so oh. sweet. I love that. No, I love yes. having the real life stuff. Sometimes my dogs go berserk in the background or whatever, but that's part of who we are as moms and running a awesome. household and running a business. And you're lucky they're happening sweet at once because they aren't always sweet. So <laughs>
0: sometimes, sometimes they're not don't right. I know it. we'd be patching I don't that podcast. It, we'd be cutting and editing that for sure. <laughs>
1: um, <clears throat> how do you define, how do you define success? I'm
0: going to define that as, um, two things being happy and, um, growth being, being better than you were the day
1: before learning something new, improving something. I love that. Okay. Now we're onto the lightning round. Ooh. Ocean or desert? Desert. Favorite junk food? Sour patch kids. Yum. Movies or Broadway show? Movies. Daytime sex or nighttime sex? I'm nighttime. My husband's daytime. So we have we have made, we have a major problem there. Texting or talking? Talking. <laughs> Cat person or dog person? Dog person. Have you ever worn a unitard? Fuck yeah, I have. <laughs> <laughs> have you? I love you so much. <laughs> <laughs> of course. Does people actually say no to that? Well, I had one person say, What's a unitard? And then I explained <laughs> it. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course. Of course I wore them. It was fine. I have a couple of them in my drawer right now. <laughs> um, have you ever worn socks with sandals? Yes, Berks. Oh yeah. Yeah. I miss like my Berks. They need
0: socks with yeah. some Berks up in Michigan in the woods, oh, like camping.
1: That's good yeah. shit. Yeah. yeah. Shower or bathtub? Bathtub, ice cream or chocolate? Ice cream. On a scale of one to ten, how good are you at ping pong? I'm gonna give it a six. What is your biggest pet peeve? Um. Oh God.
0: My husband has the Weather Channel on all the time. And he leaves it and he'll let like I hate the sound <laughs> of the Weather Channel. It's on 24 seven. I hate walking into the kitchen to get a cup of coffee and
1: it's just um Just like that's that's like my current pet peeve. That's a good one. Okay. Let's see if you could push a button and it would make everyone in the world 7% happier, but it would also place a worldwide ban on all hairstyling products. Would you push it?
0: Yes, I would.
1: Superpower choice, invisibility or ability to fly? Invisibility. Would you rather have six fingers on both hands or a belly button that looks like foreskin? Definitely Six Fingers. Definitely. <laughs> what was the name of your first
0: pet? Buffy. It's the Cocker Spaniel. What was the name of the street you
1: grew up on? Horseshoe Drive. So your poor name is Buffy Horseshoe.
0: Um, I already knew that, you know. I I've been, uh, <laughs> I go, but sometimes I sign my checks, Buffy Horseshoe. <laughs> Are you serious? I knew where you were going with that one. No, I actually don't. <laughs> I'm, I'm well. I'm very acquainted with my porn name. Well,
1: this is the Bills podcast. so you know. Of course. Um, Nothing less. Kelly, I absolutely adore you. This has been such a treat.
0: I adore you too, Jen. I'm so glad I got to be on your podcast.
1: Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for listening, guys. I really hope you enjoyed my interview with Kelly be sure to go onto my website and give us your email signing up for the newsletter because every month on the 15th, I'm going to be doing a giveaway in this month on October 15th, I'm going to be giving away a milf podcast t-shirt or tank top your choice. It's very soft. I, I went to great lengths to make sure that it was like a really good quality t-shirt because that's important. Yeah. Just mm-hmm. so grateful. So grateful to all of you. I want to give another shout out to my amazing team at Fullcast for producing this show. Uh, Harry Duran, my producer. Sarah, our amazing project manager, who is basically our showrunner. And Derek, our editor. uh, Several other people behind the scenes that helped me pull this off. So uh, thank you. I could not do this alone. Or I should say, I chose not to do this alone. Because I probably could have, but instead of giving you guys episode... 16 today, I would be giving you maybe episode two. So anyway, I hope you have a great week and I'll talk to you next week. Bye guys.